everyone, and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett. Today, we're joined by Piers Salguro. He is a transdisciplinary scholar of health humanities and fascinated by historical and contemporary intersections between Buddhism and medicine and also cross-cultural exchange. He's such an interesting guest with really extensive lived experience, but he also has written a book called Buddhish. But this is backed off based around a foundation where he has a PhD in the history of medicine from Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. And now he teaches Asian history, medicine, and religion at Penn State University's Abington College, which is near Philadelphia. It's so wonderful to have you here, um, Pierce. Your lived experience and your work is really fascinating. And today's podcast, we're going to be centering it around your your book called Buddhist, which is so fascinating title. And we'll get into that in a minute. His major interest is really in trying to understand the role of Buddhism in the global transmission and reception of knowledge about health, disease, and the body. And I'm really fascinated by this too. And I'm and we're going to learn about how he became interested in that. So welcome, Pierce, to the podcast. Thanks, Selena. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Your journey into Buddhism is really unusual. When I looked into your work and read your book, you've got an extensive lived experience. And as a result of that, which I would love you to tell the audience about, you decide to write this book and you write other books and you're a scholar as well. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, what you learned along the way? And and let's like tap into a little bit of some of the greatest surprises you found along your way um, by attending monasteries and retreats in Thailand, et cetera. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I've I've always been interested in religions. It's something that um, fascinated me as a kid. I, I moved to the United States uh, when I was seven from South America, um, and was from a very secular um, Latin American family. So I did not grow up with you know the Catholic Church or or uh, any other church being a big part of my life. Um, but I remember you know as early as maybe 10, 11, 12, being really interested in rituals and and, and religious practices of, of various kinds. I remember reading all kinds of um, all kinds of religious literature as a kid, not not really understanding what I was reading, but really fascinated by things. Like how did you get to, how did you do that? Like what what made you go lean that way as a child? Like was it, it how did you find was, the books? <laughs> yeah, I, I I found them at the public library in the little town that I lived in um, in Massachusetts. But uh, yeah, how 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 I um, or why I reached out to those things um, is a mystery. I mean, it must just have been sort of these uh, interests were kind of baked in somehow. <laughs> and you've got um, no religion in your previous grandparents or. Really none. If it's, you know, it's kind of um, goes against the stereotype about, you know, Latin American, South American families. But I have, uh, yeah, I have um, three out of four of my grandparents are from South America and not one of them is a practicing um, uh, Catholic or or practitioner of any any religion, actually. They're all secular atheists. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, perhaps, perhaps, you know, growing up, there was, there was, um, I don't know. Perhaps there was a hole there that wasn't uh, that wasn't being filled in some way. Were um, some of your friends but, in religious families, or no? It was really was it, I really was kind of. Um, 
I, you know, there was, there was a, a local uh, Protestant church in the town that I grew up in. And, uh, um, you know, my, my mom was, we were newly moved there. She was a single mom, you know, from South America. So it was a little, a little bit strange for this small town in Western Massachusetts where we lived. Uh, and, and she made an effort to join that church in order to try to meet people and try to sort of, you know, um, uh, become part of the fabric of the, of the little town. Um, but I, but I actually was never, never that interested in that church. I, you know, the, the kinds of stories and the kinds of things that were being done weren't, weren't so interesting to me. Um, but I, meanwhile, was very fascinated by, you know, the Upanishads and Native American traditions and, um, other kinds of, other kinds of religious traditions. Um, I, I guess I, I didn't really, I wasn't really able to sort of delve into, um, those topics as a, as a kid beyond just reading books that I, you know, they didn't really understand, but what um, was your favorite one? Do you remember? Um, I, well, I, I do remember the being sort of gripped by the Upanishads and, and, um, that's one that I remember reading. Uh, do you want to tell us a little times. bit about them? Just out of Actually, the other one just it just occurred to me when you asked me the other thing that that really um, stuck out to me was um, the book Watership Down. It's a book about rabbits. Um, I don't know if you know this book. It's like a, it's a you know it's a it's it's a book for maybe older kids or teenagers. Um, and I'm trying to remember now because it's been a very long time since I read it. But in that in that book, the there's like um, there's a, a young rabbit who's sort of like a. a I don't know, a spirit medium of some kind or, a, you know, a shaman of some kind who's like, you know, going through, uh, goes into trances and has visions and so forth. And I really liked, I really liked that book. Um, and also another thing I should mention is, um, you know, the, my sort of fascination with Asian religions in particular might also have something to do with the, um, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, of the generation, you know, right when I got to the States, it was 1981. And that's right where the original Star Wars movie had just come out. I think maybe the second movie had just come out. Um, and so, you know, those movies really, um, they really deal with a lot of Asian um, religious and cultural uh, tropes, right? There's a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, the, bet between the sword play and the clothing and the costumes and the kind of the language and all of that. But then, of course, you know, a lot of the story centers around the force, which is very similar to the Chinese concept of chi or the Japanese concept of ki. And so so I think I think perhaps there was also some of the media that I was consuming at the time was also feeding this this interest kind of all all coming together. So when did you did you um, go to university to study religion? Like, ha what what's the transition from America to living in monasteries in Thailand? Yeah, yeah. I, st I started with the with the backstory, um, and and yeah, I um, I went to a private high school that actually had courses in religious studies, so I did take some courses in religion in high school. Uh, and when I got to college, I really I really jumped in. Um, I did an undergraduate degree in. Um, cognitive science and also anthropology and in both cases i was interested in consciousness and um was taking uh, you know courses that were you know about about um the 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 more scientific approach to consciousness at the same time as taking in in the anthropology department taking a lot of courses that related to um indigenous traditions and and um religious traditions um and so 
uh, it wasn't a religious studies degree, but it was, you know, I took courses um, that, that approached all different sorts of um, religious traditions. And um, so in college, you know, I graduated ultimately with these two degrees um, and really wanted to travel um, to experience some of the traditions that I'd been reading about. And uh, in, I was particularly interested in Asia, going to, um, uh, you, you know, I, I wasn't particularly focused on Buddhism. I, actually, Taoism was the one that was most of a draw, um, and then also yep. shamanic traditions. So for the audience that may not be aware of some of those traditions, do you want to mm -hmm. just do a quick summary of the difference between Taoism, Buddhism, and shamanic traditions? Just a oh, brief, yeah. like like one or two things that really separate them yeah sure well i mean i think i think foundationally you know buddhism originates in india and is is really a, a sort of paradigmatically indian religion whereas taoism is uh, originates in china and it, so it has a very different cultural um context um and so you know buddhism eventually travels to china and mixes with taoism and becomes sort of a chinese you know version of, of buddhism but um um, you know, the, then there's also the shamanic traditions, which are uh, widespread around Asia, still to this day practiced right alongside um, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, other other um, religions that came later. Um, the shamanic traditions are in in Asia are, you know, you don't you don't want to say they're 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 exactly the same, but they do have similarities with shamanic traditions worldwide, including Native American and African and Latin American. Um, and 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 I don't know so much about the Aboriginal Australians, but I'm I'm uh, imagining that there's there's some um, synergies there as well. Yes. So when you so that's an amazing journey already that you've had, and you're not even <laughs> you're just out of college. I mean, to move from South America to America is a big transition. And then to choose that pathway is not the easiest pathway you can ever choose in America from in terms of, you know, the way the country is structured for capitalism, et cetera. It must yeah, have been a right. big, um, I can imagine a single mom raising you would be thinking that you should be a lawyer or a doctor or, a, you know, I don't know because I don't know your your family situation, but I could imagine there'd be some significant the, pressure yeah there definitely was pressure um to 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 go into business to go into sort of um yeah more traditional money making um um pursuits and uh you know i just i just um i just was i just did not fit with that and i you know i i tried multiple um, times to get interested through, you know, working for an uncle and doing an internship for another one and so forth. And it just, it just never, just never clicked. Um, uh, you know, so, so I, I was spent my whole childhood, my early adulthood, just really sort of, um, immersed in books and really, really asking these kind of bigger philosophical, you know, spiritual questions. So the thing I find really interesting, um, Pierce, about your journey here right now in this little nugget, is that you're studying it through reading books. Most people enter these things because they make them feel better and they find yeah. relief in each of these things you described. But it's almost like you were doing a Star Wars journey through the different religions, not because you were using them to medicate some trauma or stress or in your life. I could be wrong. I don't know. But 
Like it's very unusual lived experience journey from everyone else's that I've kind of read about or seen. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, so I spent years reading about these traditions before ever practicing any of them. So, so that, that is true. Um, I did do martial arts and starting in high school. So I did, um, you know, Korean and Japanese martial arts, which has a little bit of, uh, a very, very small amount of, um, kind of, uh, uh, focus on, you know, bodily energies and teeny tiny bit of meditation, maybe for like three seconds, you know, at the beginning of class. But, um, but yeah, for the most part, I hadn't really, I hadn't really practiced, um, you know, any of these traditions at all and, and was, was primarily, um, interested in the, the ideas, the, the, so the philosophies and the ideas. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about when you did start to practice and you chose, I guess you didn't, I guess you end up practicing Buddhism. Yeah. So I, I went, I, like I said, after college, I went to Asia, I was interested in these, in these traditions. Um, I actually uh, initially went to Asia, met up with a friend of mine who was the scuba diver and we went scuba diving around Southeast Asia. And it just so happened that the last place that we were together before he had to leave to go back to the U.S. was in Thailand. And so I considered Thailand sort of like the beginning of my exploration. You know, we were done with the scuba diving and now it was time to sort of delve into these um, these traditions. And, you know, there I was in, in Bangkok and uh, what better place to dive into to, to learning about um, Buddhism than in Thailand. And so uh, right after my friend left, I um, started a 10-day um, meditation retreat in Thailand. And actually, uh, I, in the end, I wound up, um, home based in Thailand for the next four years and did, uh, a, a, a lot of side trips to China and India and other places in order to, you know, learn more, um, uh, about all of the traditions, but, but primarily was, um, was, was home based in Thailand. I, I wound up in the Northwest of the country in Chiang Mai, um, as, as rented a house there and, and, and lived there for about, about four years. Um, did you think about and, entering uh, the monastery as a full-time? Oh, I did. Yeah, I, I did. I, um, uh, was very interested in, in that. Uh, and, and I spent, um, quite a bit of time sort of preparing to go into the monastery, um, and and then uh, I wound up meeting the woman who's now my wife. Um, and the more time we spent together, the more conflicted I was about whether or not I was going to become a monk. Um, eventually, at the end of the four years, uh, I did go and spend the summer in the in the monastery. The the rains retreat they call it. It's a it's a period of time uh, of several months. It co corresponds with the North American summer. Um, which uh, is the rainy season in Thailand. And so it was, uh, you know, a time where I was able to, I, I, I went to Thailand um, or I, I, I was in Thailand um, on a one-way ticket with no return ticket back to the, back to the U S and, you know, I split with my, with my then girlfriend and I said, I'm going, you know, to this monastery to see if, you know, if I am, uh, destined to be a monk and and pretty soon after I got there I realized that this was actually not the path for me and uh and wound what, up what, what why did you back. realize that um so I talk about this a little bit in Buddhish um the, this this story but uh one of the things that 
uh, by that time, so this was, you know, four years into my, into my studies of Buddhism. Um, by that time, uh, I had gone through sort of a transition, I would say, from the initial uh, period of time where I was extremely focused on meditation and was uh, very uh, diligent and very um, uh, committed to meditation practice. And um, to to the extent that I was, you know, um, uh, organizing my life in such a way as to prioritize sort of time spent on the cushion and in 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 isolation and in silence. Um, and then over the how course of the four years, be, how many hours would you be doing that in the end at four years? Um, I so I guess initially, initially it would be. Um, I was probably doing like four hours of practice a day of meditation um, and, wow. and and yoga, which I did in a kind of a meditative way. Um, and, and then the rest of the time I was, I was writing cause I was at that time I was writing a book. Um, I, w I had uh, also been interested in learning about traditional medicine in Thailand and yeah. was collecting mm -hmm. data on uh, Thai medicine and doing some translation projects and so forth. And, um, and 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 was compiling materials for a book on Thai medicine um, at the time as well. So I, it was kind of like, you know, either either I was doing this contemplative sort of practice, or else I was, you know, very much kind of immersed in my writing um, in in those years. Uh, and I and I guess over time, um, I started to see the, I started I started to find that my focus on um, high intensity meditation was um, detracting from the other dimensions of my life. Um, and so um, by the time I was going, by the time I, by the end of those four years and it was time to, you know, that I was going to the monastery um, to give this a try to see if I wanted to be a monk. By that time I was very conflicted between um, sort of a, a life of quiet um, contemplative practice on the one hand and then on the other hand what was pulling me was a life of um, of, of 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 study and, and writing but also connection. Know, relationship with my with connection exactly with my wife and connection with with the world and, and wanting to travel and see you know see the world and wanting to have a family and and, and all of that was also calling me and that how was old were you at conflicting. that point if you don't mind me saying asking um let's see i must have been 25 yeah just point. as the prefrontal cortex is fully developing <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a lot of well yeah that happen there <clears throat> that end up we can go in one direction with our life and and another for this is very common for people that get addicted to for example alcohol i know that you won't yeah you're becoming a from what you're describing to me is very much an addiction um because you get so giving it up causes withdrawal symptoms do you know what i mean like but we keep doing it despite the negative consequences and we don't realize it so some people yeah. like if you're doing that's why they try and get people very young too isn't it because the younger you are the harder it is to make those changes yeah i mean and 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 i would say i guess from my perspective that also at the time i had really I had imbibed so much of the doctrine through the reading that, you know, through the books that I'd been reading. And also while in Thailand through these, the, um, the teachings of the meditation centers and, and monasteries that I was in um, was, and, and had really um, 
really identified strongly with this uh, tradition and, and really feeling that this was the right the right uh, way to spend your life and that other ways of spending your life your life was um, was a distraction from like doing what's really important, which enlightenment. is enlightenment enlightenment yeah. yeah working towards enlightenment exactly and so so um you know it really came so that uh you know all of life was a distraction from enlightenment right in this kind of this kind of like puritanical version of this pursuit of enlightenment that i you know developed in my mind it was it was very much like you know you know any kind of enjoyment any kind of um, relationship any kind of you know just uh um you know joy was a was a distraction from yeah punishment and this is very much a there is a strain of buddhism it's very much a sort of a southeast asian um uh strain of theravada buddhism that is very rigorous like this and very emphasizes you know this kind of like um full uh full-time meditation practice is as the one and only way of of living your life i would say that would go across many religions too like catholicism is similar where people have to give up i mean to become a priest you have to give up everything in some sense kind of ascetic this asceticism is found in many different traditions for sure um, there are multiple strains of asceticism in buddhism too um, you know zen buddhism has a lot of the same qualities that i'm talking about um, as do certain certain forms of tibetan buddhism um, but you know yeah so it was it was it was um um, you know, I threw myself into it really uh, wholeheartedly and got very, very immersed in that in that kind of um, um, so, mission. Shall we, um, in your book, Buddhist, this is a beautiful story you tell. But can you tell the audience that moment? I remember the, I remember the moment. Do you want to describe the moment when you realized when you were there in the monastery that this was perhaps not going to be the pathway for you? Yeah. Um, so I, I I think what you're referring to is when I was at the monastery, I kind of was talking to one of the monks about this um, sort of overly fixated, uh, f- this feeling I had that I was becoming overly fixated on on pursuit of nirvana and was getting kind of like um, uh, rigid in that regard. And the monk gave me the advice to um, stop doing the practice that I had been doing, um, which of course I learned from a teacher who said this was the one and only way to enlightenment. So like giving up this practice was itself a kind of a, you know, a, 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 a loss of sorts. So, um, but the, the monk advised me to give up this practice uh, and it, instead to do um, a practice of metta, metta meditation, which is loving kindness meditation. Um, and at, at the monastery, we, we had um, uh, various tasks that we had to do. And uh, the task that it was assigned to me was sweeping the um, paths of the, this is a forest monastery. So these kind of like, pathways all over the monastery that would have these leaves that fall from the forest and they create this sort of like, um, you know, ground cover. Um, and so I spent my days sweeping these, um, hours and hours and hours a day, sweeping these paths clean and, you know, the leaves keep falling. So by the time you get done, you have to start all over again. So, um, so I was, I, I turned the sweeping into my meditation, um, so instead of you know sitting in the meditation hall, I would be out there sweeping and be doing this um, loving kindness meditation. You know, may all beings be happy, may all beings be well, may all beings be peaceful. While you know while I'm sweeping, 
Um, and, and yeah, I do, I tell this story in Buddhist about how, um, this kind of, um, practice, uh, it, it eventually, cause I was there for several months, um, eventually sort of, uh, seeped in, in such a way, um, that I, I really experienced like this, this, um, heart opening where I was, you know, sweeping and just kind of like, you know, full of like love and, and overflowing, you know, um, uh, joy and happiness and connection with all of the animals in the forest and all of the other people and so forth. Um, and it, it, it was this real kind of, um, you know, the first real, um, you know, spiritual experience or kind of mystical experience or whatever that, that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd had within Buddhism, I'd been doing all of this practice with meditation, you know, and this kind of fixated, more concentrated kind of kind of style of meditation and had really, you know, I, I'd learned a lot about myself, but really had never had like a profound sort of like shift of reality. Um, but that, and it came from, from sweeping and, you know, just expressing love for, for all beings. Um, and, and I feel like that moment, um, was sort of a pivotal shift where I was like, oh, I see that the 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 my own path, you know, the the Dharma that I connect with, the 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 spiritual path that's the right fit for this particular body mind is not sitting around and um, you know, drilling away at concentration type practices, but rather to um, you know, to to be more connected with the world. Um and so so, you know, I right right there decided um to leave the monastery i stayed for a little while longer just to just to finish it out but um at that point i decided to leave and uh to reunite with my with my um, girlfriend who's not my wife and so glad she was still there for you yes she 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 was on her own journey she she was meanwhile doing a, a teacher training in yoga um at a at a you know i was at a monastery she was at an ashram it was very parallel sort right. of uh, yeah uh, paths in a lot of ways but uh, I think yeah no luckily I'm... she took me back <laughs> yes it is well done <laughs> and you for finding your path i'm really happy for you because some people never get that opportunity they get uh, reeled in and um and they end up like just from a brain perspective what i understand about you know, the spirituality domain in the brain is very much similar to how, you know, alcohol and nicotine and sugar interact with the brain. Uh, spirit, you know, some practices can do the same thing to the brain and lead people down the pathway where they're maybe not meant to be. I think the thing about Buddhism that's been quite shocking to me is that people don't think it's a religion, and you write about this as well. Do you want to describe how it is, how Buddhism is very much a religion like every other religion. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think um I think what what I say in the book is that uh I, I like to start off my classes like this. And you know, when I teach a course on Buddhism, I ask the students, like, you know, is Buddhism a religion? Um, for the most part, people, you know, North American people anyway, people in the US want want to say that Buddhism is a is a, a, a lifestyle or else it's a philosophy or it's a, you know, it's a form of spirituality or something like that. And they don't, they really don't want, they don't tend to use the word religion to describe it. Um, but, but then, you know, um, when we actually start to study um, what Buddhism actually entails, the way that Buddhism is actually practiced um, outside of, 
North America and in, in Asia, in places where Buddhism has been long been a part of the culture. Um, once we start to educate ourselves about what Buddhism actually is and not what our imagination of it is, but what, what Buddhism is actually like on the ground, um, it becomes really clear that it, that, that it very much is a religion. And by the end of the semester, I asked the students the same question and they're all like, of course it's a religion because we've come through, you know, come past our sort of like superficial understandings of Buddhism based on what we would like it to be and actually are, are understanding more of what Buddhism is and what, so, what, what Buddhism has been. So you write this this great book called Buddhist. Do you want to describe just a couple of the reasons why you write that book and because that's how you describe yourself almost at the end of the book and I think that's really cool. So do you want to tell people a little bit about that? Yeah. So the book is, um, the subtitle of the book is The 20 uh, Most Important Buddhist Ideas for the Curious and Skeptical. And so I think that kind of captures um, who the intended audience is, right? So the 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 idea with Buddhist was that... Um, um, it, I was thinking about it both for my students, um, you know, at the college, but also for, um, I, I had in mind my, and actually I sent drafts to my sister and my brother, and my uncle, like people who are, um, not committed to Buddhism, not especially, you know, don't define themselves as being especially spiritual. Um, yeah, maybe have a curiosity about Buddhism, but, but wouldn't necessarily connect with, um, the kinds of books that are available um, generally about Buddhism. And that that's there, there's a range that is on the one side, you have uh, these kind of dry academic histories of Buddhism or academic treatments of Buddhism on the one hand. And then on the other hand, you have um, these uh, books that are written by Dharma teachers, right? Where they really want to um, explain how Buddhism can change your life and how 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 to practice Buddhism, um, at, with the assumption that Buddhism is fantastic and it's you know something that everybody um, should practice. Uh, and so I wanted to write a book that would sort of um, avoid you know those two um, extremes that could introduce Buddhism in a way that was neutral, um, you know, so bringing sort of a scholarly objectivity, but that wasn't written in this really boring way that would be, you know, a, a real slog for somebody to read um, who wasn't committed to learning about Buddhism. Um, and I didn't want to have any kind of indoctrination in there um, that would assume that Buddhism is something that everybody should, you know, should practice. Um, but yet I, I wanted to introduce some of the some of the good, the bad, and the ugly about the tradition, um, based largely on my own experience plus my scholarly, um, my scholarly experience. So, yeah, um, and Buddhist is, is trying to do that. And it's uh, you did it in a really what I really recommend everyone read it. It's really great. I thought you did a great job of that, and it, it was really welcome to the field because I what I've discovered being out in the world and seeing so many people get uh, taken in thinking that they've found the panacea of their pro to fix their problem. Um, and then some end up getting, uh, I don't know how to put the right words around this, but it ends up becoming a problem itself. The fix, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. you know, this happens with Alcoholics Anonymous and many other things that people turn to, which work for the short term but then become an addiction in themselves that end up creating other problems that people wouldn't be aware of because they thought that, because they still believe that they've found the thing that's going to solve all their problems. Yeah. And so I like these yeah. conversations that are more like walking out. I like to call it the middle way where there's no dichotomy. There's like, 
this part's really good and you can try and use that like we talk about breathing and letting go and all of these other principles you have in there that are written in the Buddhist tradition, but they're not like you have to be a sacrificial lamb to be actually a real Buddhist. Hmm. I find that yeah. really fascinating conversation and something that's very important. We don't have nuance in our conversations, really. Yeah, and and I guess an important perspective that you know I'd want to bring in is just to say that um, you know Buddhism for people who aren't familiar with Buddhism, um, it, it's much too simplistic to think of it as one thing. And I, I actually think it's helpful to think about Buddhism as a whole collection of different religions. Um, so it's like more like a category of religions. And then under under the heading of Buddhism, you have all of these different kinds of traditions that all um, have their own sort of um, culture and history and ways of practice and, and, and ways of organization. And so Zen Buddhism in Japan is completely different, um, you know, in, in, in how it's done than Buddhism in Mongolia or in, you know, in Cambodia. Um, and so there there are... Uh, certain forms of Buddhism that I would definitely say have uh, much more uh, alignment with sort of cult-like practices or cult-like social organizations. Um, there are definitely some forms of Buddhism that are, you know, that that are very much focused on proselytizing and on um, shaming people into participating in certain kinds of, you know, uh, communal activities and 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 and. Um, and try to really sort of like capture people and keep them within the within the tradition um so so there's there definitely are buddhist uh organizations and buddhist sects that are like that are like that um and then there are other buddhist forms of buddhism that are quite you know open and quite liberal and quite um um quite quite a bit less intense in their proselytizing and and um there's there's a whole there's a whole range and 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 of course we should also mention you know that um, recently there's been a lot of attention paid to the sex abuse that has happened yes. within certain um, certain. I, I was really grateful. I, I was, that's what I loved about your book. It was not just praising it, and I think that's the bit that I find really just just stressing. It stresses me out that part when people, and this happens across so many different religions and cults, that abuse and um, and no one talks about it. And I thought it was so wonderful you mentioned that in your book. You didn't go into it in great detail, but I've been researching that for a really long time, and especially especially the Pema Chodron stuff that was going on and many examples of that. And that's also across lots of religions that's happening. And I find that really hard to tackle from a humanity point of view because I think yeah. if you're willing to let that go, in the name of the religion, then what is that religion? It's still, it's still, no matter if you just say it's a few bad actors, it's a really tricky conversation, that one. Yeah. So I, I, I would agree. It's, you know, just to write it off as a few bad actors is not, is not, um, is, is not being intellectually honest about what's going on. Um, I, I think it has a lot to do with the social structure of particular organizations. And, and so, you know, um, I, I wouldn't say that, that, you know, 
Buddhism it, the, as a whole, all of the various different kinds of Buddhism that are out there, I wouldn't say that they all um, suffer from this kind of structural problem. Um, some Buddhist organizations, some Buddhist sects do have, you know, a, a very top-down hierarchical, you know, the guru is the is the, the the leader is the great guru and you should do whatever they say and they they're, you know, treated yeah. like a god and so forth. And, you know, and that can lend itself towards certain kinds of abuses. Um so I, I try to present in the book sort of a balanced picture where um you know I I I'm I'm not hiding the negative sides and the and the you know the the I say the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'm, I'm I'm introducing people to you know the the wonderful things within the Buddhist tradition, and then also talking about some of the not so wonderful things within the tradition, and some of the horrific things that have happened yeah. in the name and of the tradition. And that's important for people to be aware of. That's what I'm saying too. That that's yeah. that's exactly what I'm saying because I guess the reason I like to raise this, and it's it like in these kind of conversations is just like everything we share knowledge it's up to people to make choices and decisions as they choose but if you don't know that and you're entering these things because of your trauma responses to other things uh you you tend to go to those things that make you feel safe and comfortable and to not be aware of that that's going on is really frightening to me yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, somebody who was fleeing, you know, um, say Catholicism because of the sex abuse that was happening in there, and then and 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 ran to certain forms of Buddhism, right, as a sort of a refuge, would 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 uh, potentially find very similar social structures in place that create, you know, maybe not not exactly the same kinds of problems, but but that do create um, that do create you know, similar kinds of abuses. Yeah. Um, I had I interviewed Debbie Haskey Levanfel, who's written just released her new book called Meaningfulness. And she was one of the first people into the Kabbalah Center and then left at 18. And it the Kabbalah Center was made famous by Madonna and Gwyneth Paltrow. And what her her advice is, as someone that's like yourself experienced everything, understands everything, her advice is just if there's this she's just said this yeah, you know, a number of red flags, and as you you've raised them already, if there's a guru, if you're being asked for money, or if you're asked to go out and sell books, these are some of the red flags to know that you're not in a really in a community based connected uh, sect or section. If you know what I mean, they're the things that you should that they're kind of some of the red flags to know that you're not in the right place for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I, I, I guess, um, you know, it's worth mentioning that the vast majority, like all of the Buddhist places that I've um, learned at in, in Thailand, um, were always free and we're always supported by the community um, in, a, uh, in, a, in, in a, a way of sort of paying forward the the benefits that they had received from participating. Um, and so, you know, so there are, different different types of organizations with different kinds of structures and different kinds of um, incentives different kinds of leadership and so forth it's just having full um, knowledge isn't it that's all what we're here to yeah and so in the in in the book i try to lay out sort of a wide range of different um types of buddhism wide range of different uh 
organizational structures that Buddhism can take and, 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 and a wide range of different kinds of philosophies and doctrines that Buddhists hold, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's also, there's a huge amount of diversity just in terms of what Buddhists believe and do exactly um, yeah. as part of their practice also. And yeah. so this is something uh, yeah, I, I think totally unaware of. And that's why I love your book. It's, you've got so much expertise that's so, it's not just your academic expertise that you've built up over decades that I love. It's also having the lived experience really changes your ability to write about it. And I love your book, Buddhish, and I really highly recommend people read that book if they're interested in doing and exploring what you've explored. I think it's wonderful opportunity for people to get in a really, like I read it online, so you can get it in many ways. And people can also find you at your website too to learn more about all of the work you've done. Yeah. Uh, in this space, it's really quite exceptional. It's unusual too, and it's very hard. Many people in these spaces don't have that neutrality in in looking at it, which you developed from a young age, and that's really great. Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, you asked me earlier. I didn't. I didn't ask answer the question, but you asked me earlier, like what was. Um, uh, one of the surprises, yes. right? One of the things that were most surprising to me. And so, um, you know, I, I, I told the story how I was in Thailand for, you know, those four years and was at, at the end, you know, had this kind of epiphany that, you know, I didn't really want to stay within this monastic context. Um, and, and as a result of that, um, kind of realization, uh, what, what wound up occurring was, um, that I came back to the States um, and entered into graduate school. So my my wife and I got married. We started yeah. a family and I entered, entered into graduate school to study religions, to study Buddhism specifically from a, a more academic perspective. And actually one of the things that was most surprising to me to when I started uh, my academic research was just really how, um, how diverse, how broad the Buddhist tradition is. And I had only experienced one sort of slice of buddhism had really thought that that was it that that was buddhism right yes, and that absolutely. oh yeah they do things slightly differently yes. in other parts of the world but it's basically all the same and when i when i started in graduate school i i quickly realized just really how extreme the differences are between different forms of buddhism Amazing. um and so so that sort of launched me um you know over over the course of um about 10 years between well, i guess yeah 10 years between 2001 and, two, and 2010 that i was in graduate school working on uh, first a master's and then a phd related to the history of buddhism specifically history of buddhism and medicine um, but i i really spent uh, a long time learning you know from this more academic standpoint really about the the diversity of the tradition the history of the traditions you know and and, and really um tried to bring all of that to, to blend all of that academic knowledge together with my personal experience in, when when it came to writing this book it's so good and so as someone that's practiced and can you give um, the audience just one tip that you use to stay calm and from the without having to sit on a and meditate for four hours a day i'm sure you picked up one thing that you can actually help people take away from all your experience that they could use every day that would, might make a difference yeah i guess um i i guess where i would go with that i mean there's a lot of places you could go with that um 
I guess where I would go with that is one one of the things that Buddhism has taught me is that you can um is is how interconnected the mind and the body are. And so you can you can um instead of trying to think your way into calmness, you can regulate your body and that will drive that will pull the mind into con into into calmness. Um and you can do that through, you know, various kinds of physical relaxation techniques and deep breathing and focusing your attention on your breath instead of the thoughts that you're spinning out about. Um, there's a lot of different techniques you can do, but um I would say, yeah, I would say just 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 really understanding how intertwined the body and the mind are and how you can if you're stuck in one, you can use the other to 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 um, unstick yourself. Uh, is I think a really helpful general advice. That's such a great piece. But also, the thing that that like strikes me from our conversation: sweep the floor and think of how and put out love into the world. Absolutely, <laughs> I love that story. That I was killing Very myself relaxing. laughing. By the way, when I was reading that part of your book, I thought that was just so brilliant because the thing that it comes. The thing after me also, I had a different experience to you. Mine was more about studying the brain and all of that kind of thing to come to the place where working with people and everything, the only thing that actually matters in the world is love and connection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the thing that we take a lot of journeys to find when it's already there, but, you know, it gets locked away and hidden. So I, I loved your sweeping story and then how it's now put you into love and connection in the world and, helping all your students do that. And uh, thank you so much for writing your book called Buddhist. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah. Find me. Um, yeah. uh, sure. I have a, a website, piercesalguero.com. Um, I, you know, it just is, it's a, it, it's a place where I collect my academic and, and uh, popular writing. So I, that, that would be the place for people to find me, I think. Yeah. And you can get the book anywhere online. Yeah, it's um I, I, I don't know about the global distribution, um, but it's I, I believe it should be available everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I read it in Australia online. <laughs> yeah, so, perfect. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. Uh I look forward to seeing what next book you write is going to be. And uh thank you for giving us a wonderful insight and overview and taking that journey because it's a hard journey to take. Not many people can do it but it's really helped a lot of us understand something we may not have understood before. So thank you so much, Piers, for joining us today on the Thriving Minds podcast. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation.